As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Great British Dumb Off a podcast that is famous for being low stakes, middle class, and just a little too pleased with itself when it does something woke. I'm your host, elderly cardigan wearer, Hannah Barrell. Joining me is, didn't come here to make friends, Alexandra Haddo. That's right, Hannah, I came to win. Or if not to win, to make a career talking shit about other contestants on breakfast TV. And to shag Fielding. And has a moving backstory involving some rare disease, Caroline O'Donoghue. Hi, Hannah. I probably won't win either, but people will always remember me when they have a mole that has changed colour or size. Wow, I think this is going to be the best season yet. This week, we're talking buttons, umbrellas and maps. So basically, the interior of your dad's glove box. On with the show. So, Caroline, you came here fully dressed today. Did you have some help from a servant or do you just have some newfangled technology to help you? Actually, my servant is on strike this week. It's a whole thing. So I, <laughs> so I had to dress myself. Oh, bloody human rights. I know, I know. Um, yeah, but luckily, um, because of a uh, simple and very old piece of technology, I was able to dress myself today and it took less than an hour. Wow. Do you guys know what that technology is? Is it one of those cupboards like in that film Clueless? Where she's got all these outfits. Oh, yeah. Why aren't we there yet? Why, why, why aren't we there yet? It's like, you know, how they had like cartoons of flying cars in the 50s and we still don't have flying cars. Like, why don't we have Cher Horowitz's yeah. 90s clueless wardrobe? Why was that yeah. not a priority? I don't know. There was a makeup version as well with Mila Jovovich in The Fifth Element where that happens. Oh. Mm. Well, um, no. <laughs> I wouldn't know because I sew myself into in each individual outfit every day. Of course. Of course yeah. you do, yeah. Yeah. Famously. Um, actually, the help of buttons got me here today. Oh. Um, buttons are gas, aren't they? They're just yeah. gas. Yeah. Because um, it's like, you look at them and you're just like, you're so clever. Do you know what I mean? But so simple. It's like, if you gave me like a million billion years to come up with like a, a simple two-piece thing that would make me fasten clothing, it would take me so long. It's like, oh, cut a hole, have a little object, put the object onto the other thing and then... It stays on. Yeah, but make yeah. it so that sideways it can go in, but long ways it can't. 
That's so clever. It's mad clever. Buttons are mad clever. I just think like the person that invented the zip must have slaved over it for years and then came out and the person that invented the button would have been, must have been like, I've been on holiday for like two years, bro. Yeah, <laughs> yeah dude, it's easy. Yeah, it's so fine. It's real easy. Um, but yeah, as you can probably predict, buttons have been around for absolutely ages. Um, they The first ever one was found in the Indus Valley Civilization, which is now modern day Pakistan. Oh. oh. Come through, Pakistan. We That's haven't a new met one. you yet. Somebody alter the Egyptian klaxon. Yeah. Or well, the leaderboard will just like, yeah. mo- will move another country up a bit. Yeah. Um, yeah, that button was uh, estimated to be 5,000 years old and made of shell. But buttons as decoration was super common in like the Bronze Age and stuff. But like buttons using for fastening, pretty new. Oh, Whoa. pretty, pretty new. Are we talking yeah. like weeks or? We're yes. talking, yeah, a couple, couple of days. Um, so yeah, the buttons were used in the Bronze Age for decoration purposes, but it wasn't until the 13th century that the buttonhole was invented and buttons started being used for fastening. Aww. This is also the year that uh, buttoning became a verb. So wow. buttons like word, of, word of the year. Yeah, it was probably like the fake news of, uh, of yeah, the year. Yeah, I can't believe that's the word of the year, firstly, two words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like modern modern technology. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank you. Yeah, so, that, so button became a verb in 1250 um, because that was the year that the French established the first button-making guild. So it became an official trade. Wow. So a lot happened to buttons in the same year. Yeah, man. Big year for buttons. Yeah, huge year. Yeah. Um, And they were mostly for men, like noble men. They were immediately like a very... uh, They were kind of like a form of peacocking, really, you know? So they had these massive big brass buttons. They were... um, like became kind of a parody thing like there's a lot of like political cartoons of the time of like men walking around with these absolutely enormous buttons that that, that like are, they're trying to impress women with and they're blinding them they're kind of like these women's are being blinded by these uh these buttons so it was kind of almost a way to like make fun of people for being a bit new money do you know what I mean oh uh, right yeah so I found that kind of interesting were they shiny buttons then or just shiny gold buttons can you imagine like the Daily Mail sidebar of shame these days that was the flaunted her buttons <laughs> Footballer's wife Colleen Rooney flaunted her new buttons today. Like too much, Colleen. Yeah, put it, put them away. So is that why you always see pictures of like Napoleon and stuff with like loads of buttons down their front, big shiny gold buttons? Yeah. Just because they're showing off. Yeah, apparently it is like a form of peacocking. Essentially, wow. yeah. What about pearly queens? How did that come about? They sew loads of buttons on. Fuck. Cool. Oh, is this a is this a uh, England thing? Oh, we have a moment. I mean, they're weird. Having a colonial moment. No, I don't know you'd, what that is. You'd have seen them. They're like these it's East like a, End people. Yeah, it's like a Cockney thing, isn't it? You have these pearl buttons and uh, they just they just put them all over these outfits and walk around oh, like they're a shell. Oh, is that what that, like that is? Shells? Yes. <laughs> oh, a living shell. Yeah, I guess that counts as a button. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Anyway, we'll cut that out. Uh, no, you don't have to because uh, you know the English have pioneered many different kinds of buttons. Um, mm. By the way, all of this information I've gotten for you is kind—it's from one source, which is this woman on YouTube who is giving a some kind of a lecture uh, in some backyard American town in like New England or something, and she's like, "Okay, so the history of buttons." Oh, <laughs> she's like, "Do you know how how often we talk about um?" 
historians and how they're all absolute cocks and like basically most male historians their entire goal is just like let's just set back civilization as much as we can by like redefining how like refining over and over again like women are lesser women are lesser and the past knew this and we should know it again um, people who are into buttons are all women they're all the cutest women on earth they like <laughs> they make me feel about history the opposite the way male historians do <laughs> they just she's just like um, talking about okay so I mentioned English buttons, um, black glass buttons. So have you ever seen those? They've got like a black head on them. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're kind. They're 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 quite a collectible button. They came about in the Victorian era because uh, Queen Victoria she wanted a way to uh, mourn Prince Albert. Oh, of course, she had to wear black. God, she, she really OD'd on the morning, didn't she? <laughs> Meanwhile, she was having affairs with Billy Connolly and uh, some Indian bloke. <laughs> I know, me think the ladies protest too much, yeah. you know what I mean? I'm super sad, guys. Yeah. I'm never leaving the house again. I'm just having famous comedians coming up to shag me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, uh, there was also uh, a form of guilt buttoning, which is uh, basically making buttons look like they're solid gold, but they're not solid gold because they're mixed with mercury. <laughs> oh, I, I spoiler. thought you meant, like, you feel bad about something. Guilt buttons. <laughs> yeah. Please accept these buttons as a token. I mean, that would be the most English thing ever. Just like, oh, yeah. we're terribly sorry, buttons. <laughs> <laughs> but um, as as big and as great as uh, buttons were in uh, France and England, where the kind of trend became huge firstly, they just like took off like wildfire in the US to the point that uh, it is the second largest hobby in the US is... Uh, collecting buttons. What? Yeah, well, this is what this woman who was doing her lecture said. She's like, it's the second largest hobby. And I was like, eh, is that true? But no, I think, I I think she means within collecting. Collecting-based hobbies, yeah. possibly. Yeah, 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 surely. <laughs> uh, um, but even so, um, like, buttons as a way to sort of evidence what your station in life was really took off in America in a huge way. Um, like, George Washington commissioned, uh, like, political buttons, like campaign buttons. So there were like Washington buttons for him. Uh, there was different kind of military station ones. You could sort of tell a lot by a person by just looking at what kind of button they were they had. Uh, while George Washington was the first button president. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you guys are looking at me being like, I can't believe we're still <laughs> listening about buttons. What do you mean the first button president? You know, the button president. <laughs> I have words of lost all meaning. So he just- I'm just saying buttons a lot now. So he wore a lot of buttons. He was he was bang into his buttons. Yeah, right, right. Real into buttons. Why are they called buttons? Buttons. It sounds weird now. Oh, it, I think it's, it comes from like a French word, like that means to fasten or something. Oh, something, right. something like that. I don't know. Button. Um, button. But anyway, Andrew Jackson, who was a later American president, he was massively into buttons. Fetch um, <laughs> <laughs> me my buttons. No, but like to the point that. This is really exciting. This is the most exciting thing that's going to happen. End on this. Yeah, this is the most exciting thing that's going to happen in Buttons, guys, so listen the fuck up. Okay. Um, and Jackson, he um, yeah, he got into a duel over his wife's honour. Somebody, like, was insulting his wife because his wife had been previously married. Slut. Massive skank. And he, um, um, before the duel, he um, got a gold button sewed next to his heart, like, on his shirt. So um, the bullet would bounce off the button. Say that five what? times as fast. Yeah. And d- did it? I guess it did, yeah. That's that. That's the apocryphal tale. But I feel like probably. I was not. gonna say, how good a shot was the guy that he had everywhere? Yeah, to, get- to hit the button yeah. directly. Mm. Unless he was like, the button was half a meter wide. <laughs> yeah. That's a shield, Andrew. <laughs> a button that just happened to be the same, yeah, shape as a chest plate. A life-saving mm-hmm. button. Yeah, the guy in the duel has to be like, 
come on, is no one going to say anything? <laughs> no one's going to say anything. Let the man have his buttons. <laughs> I look forward to the feature film about this tale whilst many women's histories are overlooked. <laughs> Andrew Garfield is <laughs> Andrew Jackson's button. <laughs> Daniel J. Lewis is Andrew Jackson. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his big bright eyes. Big bright brown eyes. He's just going Graham Norton like when I got the script through, I was just, you know, I was so excited to work with I was just director. so moved. I stayed up all night reading it and I yeah, was crying, but in tears. I shredded all my zips. Never again, I said. <laughs> In an attempt to engage with the digital age, you can only access this week's Women Who Code Mixer by downloading a boring new app, even though you're on mobile data, and then taking a photo of a strange box filled with black and white squares. That's right, this week's Women Who Code Mixer is all about QR codes. So a QR code, or quick response code, as that's what it stands for, uh, is a type of matrix barcode first designed in 1994 for the automotive industry in Japan. And it is a load of black squares on a white background, read by an imaging device, and then your device will extract the data and send you to a website or something like that. Have you two seen QR codes before? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, little little box of black and white squares. Yeah, the they're barcode. very strange. Yeah, and they're everywhere and nowhere. Like they're everywhere mm. you look, but but then. But if you had to look for one right now in this room, yes. you'd probably struggle to find one. Yeah. I'm actually looking around right now. There are no, I don't a, think there's any QR yeah. codes in here. I've got some on my underwear. I remember when um, when QR codes first happened, and it was like it was kind of like the mid noughties I guess, when it all started kicking off with that. Was it? It's yeah, they, they've been around for fucking ages. It's just they've never really taken off. Oh, like, okay. I basically only ever use them for a WhatsApp desktop. Um, but I remember people thinking it was very, like, 1984. Like, yeah, things definitely. had barcodes, you know what I mean? Definitely. It was really exciting for a while. And people were really, um, really thought that it was the future of marketing. It was, it was a bit like Google of- Glass or something, wasn't it? Everyone was like, yeah. yeah, this, definitely this. No, completely. It was the future of commerce. And you could kind of see a film poster and be like, wow, I'm going to take a picture of that QR code. I can see but the then, trailer. Yeah, but then the fact that you had to, first off, download an app if you didn't already have it to read it, mm-hmm. and then take a picture, which meant that your camera would have to focus. You take the picture, you wait for it yeah. to like, oh, I'm already read tired. it. Yeah, exactly. And then you'll go to a website, whereas actually you could just search, you know, yeah. uh, Day After Tomorrow or whatever film was about at the time. <laughs> it's quite fascinating, QR codes, because it's like one of those classic examples of technology that gets so quickly outstripped by developments in technology. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like the, yeah. Mi- the minute it existed, something better than it existed like 10 seconds later. Although actually, um, some people do say that QR codes are due a return and they are really useful for things like product tracking, item identification, uh, document management and marketing and stuff like that. So in factories, mm-hmm. for example, uh, if you have to buy something off ASOS and send it back, you might have a QR code on there. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. And they are kind of apparently better than a normal barcode. But yeah, so QR codes were really big in kind of like the 2000s and then just fizzled out. Basically, there was even a Tumblr that someone made in 2012 called Pictures of People Scanning QR Codes. And the joke was that it had no entries. (laughs) (laughs) So as women who code, if QR codes do make a return, we can now say that we knew about their latent potential all along. Yeah, we're really ahead of the game here with QR codes. 
We're sympathisers. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. It's kind of like how we knew Matthew McConaughey had it in him all along, or that cowboy boots would definitely become a thing again. Yeah. Yeah. Just got to trust in it, ride out the storm. Yeah, just say you (laughs) you knew it. They're kind of great. They are. The unsung hero of the tech world. (laughs) Absolutely. Sadly, they're sat in a room, a waiting room somewhere with mini discs. Yeah. (laughs) And low-rise jeans. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Hannah... You found your way into this studio and indeed my heart. How did you do that? I, I did, Alex, but I have to say I had a map. Oh, and what is this this map you speak of? Is it your section topic today? Uh, it is, yeah. Whoa. Seamless. Thank you. And I wanted to do maps because I saw a thing online um, about Sandy Island. Which What's that? is an island the size of Manhattan in the Eastern Coral Sea. And Sandy Island has been on maps for a long time, but it doesn't exist. What do you mean? It doesn't exist, Alex. It's not there. How? Some people what? went there and it, it wasn't there. What do you And what? 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 They, and what they think happened is people who were drawing a map invented it and they put it on there so that if anyone copied their map... Yeah, that's a thing. <gasps> yeah. That's such a good... It's like a watermark. Yeah. 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 It's good, right? What, and the joke got out of hand? I, well, I don't know. I suppose people sort of kept copying it and it did even turn up on Google Maps at one point. Um, so it's been wow. going for a while. And so there's a theory that Sandy Island was one of these copyright things. But then obviously, because this is the internet and there's too much information on there, I found an alternative theory, which is that it did used to exist and maybe it was like a floating island. Maybe it was some volcanic pumice rock that was mm-hmm. actually floating. And so it just moved somewhere else. But why would they call it Sandy Island and not Pumice Island? Oh, it could have had sand on it still. Couldn't it? No. Hmm, I prefer the first one. First theory. Yeah, I know. Yeah, same, I like it. right? Um, and apparently they also do that with roads um, and also sometimes even whole towns. So if you're making a map, you'll be like, oh, what I have Hannah Street. And uh, if, anyone, if anyone else says that there's a Hannah Street here, then I'll know that they were cheating and copying me. But if you do that too much or with too big like a thing like if you invented an entire yeah. village like your you're like credibility as a map maker is destroyed yeah. surely yeah surely yeah well sometimes with roads what they do is they make it a very minor difference so they'll put like a small bend in the road where there isn't a bend in the road or something mm-hmm. like that so that actually if you do need to find that road it is still there and you're not going to get lost because of the change that they've made huh. but that's so weird because surely then all the maps that are completely correct could say well, you've copied us. <laughs> but they're yeah. not. They're all just making the maps yeah. correctly. It's kind of about how do you copyright something that's just a fact. Yeah. It's um, really weird. That's mad. Yeah. But I thought that was really interesting. It is. Um, and these streets are called trap streets, which sounds pretty cool. Mm. I'm going to tell somebody I hate to book a holiday to Sandy Island. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, apparently there's about 100 trap streets in the London A to Z street atlas. <gasps> oh, my goodness. Loads, that's why. right? That's so many. Yeah. I was about to say, we should go on a tour of them, but then I realised you can't do that. And it would be <laughs> deeply boring as well. Yeah. There should be a street here. There isn't. The main um, system that we use for maps at the moment for world maps is actually incorrect, isn't it? Did mm. you know this? It makes everything shorter and fatter than it actually is. It's actually a lot longer and thinner. Like Africa mm-hmm. is actually a lot thinner and a lot longer. Oh. Yeah. 
Hmm. They do say that um, map making in general is a very imperialistic thing because they make yeah. places look bigger or smaller depending on how important they think they yeah. are. Yeah, and because oh, Europe obviously and, and you know the Greenwich Meridian is at the yeah. centre of all the maps, so then that's why like east is east mm-hmm. and west is west. It really irritates me whenever I see um, maps of things that like a company is trying to show you how, that how many places it caters to in the UK, and it'll show. Uh, uh, like the British Isles, but it will cut out the Republic of Ireland. It'll oh, just yeah. show like the Nor- Northern Ireland, like it's just a floating island, as if like it doesn't yeah, exist. That's yeah, that's weird. Yeah. It actually really fucking pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, because it's like you can't just admit a country. You can't just erase us, like yeah, just because we're, we're not in the bloody kingdom. Yeah, yeah, and then because I was kind of looking at maps, I thought old maps. How clever is it that they used to make maps before they even had satellites and I things know. like that? GPS. Yeah, yeah, I always think that as well. Yeah, super clever. And um, I was kind of like, how did they do that? Obviously, they used maths and they used uh, compasses as well. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as soon as I saw maths, I was like, well, I I don't need to go into that. That's fine. (laughs) Oh, yeah, maths. They They use maths. I'm just picturing like an ancient Google Earth with (laughs) people going around on a horse and cart and someone sketching like a court (laughs) sketch of all the houses. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, the earliest maps did kind of look like that. And uh, there are maps, obviously, where lots of countries are very misshapen. Lots of countries are left off entirely. Mm -hmm. Um, There's just a random dragon in the water. There's a random dragon in the water. Exactly. What's that? You know, sometimes there's maps where they have uh, they'll have the Atlantic Ocean and they'll just have some sea monsters in there. Yeah, just because. Then a color. Yeah, so the reason why there were so many sea monsters in maps um, is also because the people who travelled most at the time when these maps were being created in like the 16th century um, were sailors, mm-hmm. right? And sailors would go out on sea and uh, they'd see lots of things that they didn't really understand and then it would kind of turn into a, a whole story about this yeah. thing that they saw, this big octopus became this kraken and um, and they'd come home and these stories would come home with them and they would tell these map makers and they'd be like, well, shit, I better put a <laughs> kraken there. Well, shit, I'm <laughs> a, a monk, f- I haven't seen fuck all. Yeah. Like, I can't believe you. <laughs> no, they've told me there's a kraken. <laughs> <laughs> like anyone else looking at this map needs to know there's going to be a crack in there. So there's a theory that that's, that's why it happened. Um, and then uh, towards the end of the 17th century, that's when sea monsters started to disappear from maps because people understood that actually there weren't krakens there yeah. and we can have a scientific map they were just bored crazy no men with scurvy and who wanted a story yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> but also it's just it's quite pretty as well it's quite nice to have quite yeah. nice to have some boats on there the boats often and those maps showed that it was a safe safe place to sail mm. a, sa- a safe shipping route ah very good yeah That's really good. interesting right yeah my favorite thing about like uh old mad shit sailors say is uh, the ones that they uh, they would be out at sea and they obviously haven't seen a woman in months and they'd hear the cry of like manatees or whales yeah. and they'd be like oh that's obviously a delicious woman somewhere yeah and like imagine oh, that's like, why. then like seeing a manatee like this big brown sea pig and be like yes a woman <laughs> a mermaid of course <laughs> to be fair if you've been away long enough you'd be like well she seems soft yeah. soft and inviting um, the earliest known maps as well are actually of the stars. Oh. Nice, right? <laughs> Apparently, dots dating to 14,500 BC, that's loads, loads BC, mm-hmm. um, loads BC, were found on the walls of some caves in France. Are you sure there weren't just some dots on the wall? <laughs> yeah, just, just could have been. And knots and crosses that got a hand that went yeah. a bit freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the first people to kind of start doing maps in a serious way, seriously pursuing the maps, were the ancient Greeks. Um, uh, I can see that, yeah. And for a while they thought that the Earth was cylindrical, 
So oh. um, so they would do maps that were like, that you could kind of roll the paper up into a cylinder and be like, yeah, that's mm. the world. I don't know what they thought happened at the top and the bottom. Yeah, where do they think it ended? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Do they think it was just one of those Dyson hairdryers? <laughs> and then there's also... Uh, map-like representations of mountains and rivers and things um, have been found on a chunk of sandstone in the Czech Republic dating from 25,000 BC. 25,000 BC? That's old as shit. That is Come through, really Czech is. Republic. Yeah, Moving absolutely. you up the leaderboard one. Yeah, first point. I feel like we need a name for this, you know, like star in a reasonably priced car. We need, like, nation with an inventory... Station. <laughs> That's quite good. <laughs> now, Alex has very bravely put her hands up and is standing here at the front of the class to admit something quite difficult to us this week. Yeah, um, Hannah, I'm really sorry. I I haven't done my homework. Um, so I found a loophole and I've got someone else to do it for me. Alex, that's definitely not allowed either, actually. That's quite awkward as she is here now. Oh, God. Oh, she is. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, well, I guess we'll just all just shove up a chair and... Uh, yeah. yeah, scooch. Scooch, guys. guess we're a four-woman podcast yeah. now. <laughs> um, what, what is your name, strange interloper? <laughs> uh, my name's Marion. And what, why are you here? <laughs> well, I think you brought me here. <laughs> we emailed you several times, yeah. We did. It's quite organised, actually. Um, but luckily we've, well, we've broken down the fourth wall now. So. Yeah, I think we have, yeah. Um, Marion, what, what are you here to tell us about today? Um, I'm here to talk about my book, which is called Broliology. Oh, Broliology. What's that about? <laughs> uh, shockingly, it's a history of umbrellas and uh, their, their place in literature. It feels like you wrote this book specifically to fit into our very niche podcast format. It does, yeah. <laughs> Couldn't possibly be the case. Amazing. <laughs> It's such a lovely book. I'm looking at it right now. And for for podcast listeners that can see through the microphone, I'm sure they will agree. <laughs> Hannah loves it when I talk about visual things in, in a podcast. It's my favourite, Alex. <laughs> yeah. Um, why did you decide to write the book? Um, I had actually just been to an art installation. I don't know if you guys went. It's called The Rain Room in <gasps> Barbados. I saw a lot of pictures and I just couldn't get in. Oh, it was amazing. Um, so She's not allowed in there anymore. No. <laughs> Absolutely I had not. to wait eight hours to get in, and then they wouldn't—they couldn't get me out of it. Wow! Um, <laughs> so basically, you could walk through a field of rain without getting wet. Um, they made this indoor rainstorm, and it had these um, sprinklers, which um, sensors built into them, so they'd shut off as soon as they sensed any part of a human. <gasps> yeah, like an umbrella, like an umbrella. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. So an umbrella is a real life rain room. Kind of, yeah. My goodness. Um, except that with the rain room, you are your own umbrella. It's quite uncanny. That's um, weird. That sounds great. So um, that got you interested in umbrellas and the act of keeping dry in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> Hobbies and interests, keeping dry. <laughs> I'm an expert in that. <laughs> sorry, that's so gross. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, so I was just thinking about umbrellas, as you do, and I just read some really good ones in some books lately. Um, and I suddenly then I thought I had an essay. Um, and then I actually got a book about the history of umbrellas. Um, and I realised that uh, this really like common everyday object that I'd basically thought nothing about until that point um, had this enormously rich history and culture attached to it. So all of a sudden my essay grew up and had to become a book. What was the most surprising thing for you? 
that you found out about umbrellas? Um, oh, there's so many things, but I think probably one of the most surprising ones was its uh, history of class connotations. Um, mm. In some parts of the world, at some points in history, it was uh, completely revered. It was reserved for only like the absolute top of the elite, um, sometimes just the kings, other times the kind of upper social strata. Wow. Um, and then at other points in time, like when they were first introduced into England, um, they were associated with the lower classes and no one who wanted to be thought in any way respectable would be caught dead with one. What, so right. they just got wet? Yeah. Instead, if you yeah, were well, like, go outside, I suppose. <laughs> the purpose of rain was, like God's given purpose of rain was to make you wet. So it was seen as like uh, defying the very will of God to have an umbrella. And what what year are we talking now? Oh, like the seventeen hundreds. Okay. Wow. So would would it be like you're you're so wealthy that you don't need even need to go outside in the rain? You could just go um, from you like have a carriage. Yeah, castle yeah. to carriage yep. to carriage to castle again. Yep. <laughs> and the servants might have an umbrella or like an old some sort of umbrella contraption that they'd use to keep mm-hmm. you dry, but it was only the servants would hold them. Like you wouldn't hold them yourself. That'd be so good because the worst thing about umbrellas is when you've got a wet one and then you and then and you go in the tube or whatever and you're yeah. like, oh, how do I not make this drip all over me oh, while I sit down? Nightmare. That would be the dream then, to have someone with Just an umbrella. But then the best thing about having an umbrella is pretending like you have a walking stick. But like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like mm, I'm a very grand old man. <laughs> yeah, I think taking an umbrella out with you in the morning, the frequency with which you do that is a sign of how organised you are in life. And by that token... I am constantly mm. getting wet in the rain. I never and take also how much you despise carrying things. Yeah. Like I, f- I really resent having to carry an extra thing. Yeah. So I'd just rather get wet or put my scarf over my head. Yeah, same. <laughs> so when did um, uh, the brolly that we know now, the sort of the mainstream little black brolly that you took into your arm, uh, when did that happen? Um, so it was sort of in the 1800s in England, they sort of became like really popular and manufacturing techniques improved and like at first there were sort of these horrendously bulky disorganized bundles of twigs with this immense flappy heavy canopy kind of thing um but then that sounds like alex <laughs> <laughs> i am available to soak up any moisture you just a bundle of twigs with some canopy draped over it that is who you are that's what i look like now i'm in a very big jumper yeah <laughs> i've lost some weight recently um yeah, so uh, probably like the mid-1800s, they became much more popular in England and much more recognisable as the kind of umbrellas that we that we see today. And is there like an inventor? Is there one inventor of an umbrella or is it kind of, does anyone know where it came from? Um, well, originally, I think the earliest umbrellas are from ancient Egypt and Assyria. Um, but I mean, we don't know who... Who did it? Yeah. Um, there was a Mr. Fox uh, who who's um, designed a new kind of frame for them. So they used to be made of whalebone, and he designed a um, steel contraption that was based on the architecture of a bridge. Um, it was a tubular oh, like bridge. A like uh, it was a tubular bridge. So it was just the way the the metal was um, uh, constructed, like, like tubes rather than like solid steel. Okay. Okay, to, yeah. to make it much more light. Yeah. Um, so they they use that to make the umbrella much more kind of portable and less, mm. less horrendously heavy. That's cool. So you mentioned earlier on that um, it's based in umbrellas and literature. And uh, anyone who studied like literature for any period of time knows that certain things in a book mean things, especially in like Victorian literature, where it's like if somebody is like eating bread and warm milk it means that comfort is about to happen <laughs> you know what I mean? the storm's over you're eating bread and warm milk um what does an umbrella when an umbrella like appears in a book what does it mean it means all kinds of things and that's i think what 
got me so obsessed with them is that um, there's, I don't know how many, I, I should know how many chapters there are, I wrote this thing. <laughs> <laughs> Seven chapters, and they're all about different facets of umbrella meaning. Um, mm-hmm. So in one, it's about their kind of revered status. In another, it's about how they're really disreputable and hated. Uh, there's another chapter on sort of uh, umbrellas as like, standing for the individual and personal space and mm. umbrellas sound like they've had a similar ride to jeremy corbyn <laughs> <laughs> i love seen him with an umbrella come to think of it he's yeah. definitely someone that just leaves mm. in the rain yeah because he cycles a lot doesn't he so yeah, he's he probably got all the waterproof gear he's got yeah. a mac and a pack mm. oh if, yeah. yeah when did those um umbrellas come in where you attach them to your head the multicolored ones <laughs> umbrella hats <laughs> oh they're so cute i'm afraid i can't comment on that <laughs> So what are some of the like mentalist umbrella mythologies that are out there? Um oh there's there's a few crazy ones. Um one of my favorite ones is from Japan. There's this long tradition of um demons and ghosts and things like mm-hmm. in most countries. Um in Japan they were called yokai. Um and there's a subgroup called sukumagami which were um household objects that had like fallen into disrepair and disuse um and after 99 or 100 years or so, they became sentient and they started haunting people Ooh. and terrorising them. And one got a chill just there. Yes, <laughs> There's an amazing haiku that's like uh, on, a, on a moonlit night uh, when the stars are out. Sorry, I'm completely misquoting this. Uh, <laughs> the punchline is, the shadow of an old umbrella trembles. Oh, it's so good. Don't worry, that, in, that inaccuracy is sort of our raison d'etre than women. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but anyway, one of these objects is an umbrella, of course, um, and it's called the Casa Obake, um, and it appeared in sort of ancient, well, not ancient, but old picture scrolls um, from about 300 years ago or so, um, and then obviously became almost part of popular culture um, as the years went by. Um, so it lost its kind of demonic, terrifying nature and became more of a kind of a funny comic spook. There's a chapter in your book as well about... Um kind of gender and the umbrella and I feel like as the school for dumb women mm. we should ask you to elaborate slightly on um, on how umbrellas and gender kind of mix. Do women's umbrellas are they 20% more expensive and 20% smaller? <laughs> <laughs> They're actually 20% smaller and 20% cheaper. Oh. Are they okay. I'm just totally there. joking. Like, <laughs> big man's golf umbrellas are super expensive mm-hmm. but they're like £30 umbrellas. Why does golf warrant such a big umbrella? <laughs> I don't know. Are you meant to cover the hole as well as like where you're pitching from. <laughs> There's always that time where you're leaving somebody's house after dinner or something at night and it's raining and you go, can I borrow, borrow an umbrella? And the glee with like, we can get rid of that huge yeah. golf umbrella. <laughs> it has like Lexus on it. <laughs> and you have to go and sit on the, waiting for the tube on the platform with a huge yeah. sports director. <laughs> like, parasol. Um, so we, we have two umbrellas. We have a, a broken upside down brolly yeah. or the biggest umbrella you've ever yeah. seen. <laughs> I used to walk under one of them in Brisbane because um, I get sunburnt really easily and I just look like this giant silver mushroom. <laughs> and my mum used it to shade her little baby lettuces. Oh, You have an adorable history with umbrellas. I know. It's too They've much. been there all along. Yeah, it's like you're Moana, but instead of water, like you've got a kinship with umbrellas. Umbrellas just always doing you a favour. I yeah. swear they're actually following me around. When I was writing the book, I started taking photos of them, like really like beat up, battered ones on the streets because I find them hilarious um and it kind of just kept me going um and whenever i was like flagging with the writing inevitably like four or five umbrellas would pop up outside work one day (laughs) 
Really? Oh, yeah, it was quite spooky. Maybe they were those Japanese haunted they were. ones. <laughs> they knew what I was up to. I'm putting mine on the balcony tonight. I'm not sleeping <laughs> in a room. <laughs> um, I, I distracted the conversation. And- oh, yeah. Um, so there's... You know, part of the umbrella being hated when it first came to England was it was associated with women. And of course, then, it was. of course, like fifty, eighty years later, it was associated with men. Yeah, um, we tempted the umbrellas into opening. <laughs> <laughs> um, they've had uh, Dickens wrote about them a lot, um, and they've had they've you know they work as phallic symbols when they're rolled up. Um, especially oh, the yeah. old ones, because they're much bulkier and much less spiky. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I'm just picturing oh. a penis <laughs> getting excited and like opening up, <laughs> like, like a bearded dragon, just yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> or the Pope, oh, yeah, or the Pope. So, are you a full-time umbrellaologist now? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Ah. I just love the fact that, like, you know. You know, the phrase sort of like, oh, and then he made money in oil and he left his job or whatever. When you left your job, were you like, yeah, umbrellas have paid for this. (laughs) See you, fuckers. (laughs) I wish. (laughs) And just like like leaving like Mary Poppins, just (laughs) opening the umbrella. (laughs) So, Marion, thank you so much for talking to us. And finally, where can our quite literally millions of listeners buy your book? Uh, all good bookstores in uh, America and where are we? The UK. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, also online and directly from Melville House. Lovely. And if someone wants to uh, find you on social medias, where do they go? I have a really annoying Twitter handle. It's Mer, um, which is M E followed by seven R's. <laughs> oh, seven R's. Seven R's, specifically wow. seven R's. Great SEO there. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so Alex, how's work going? Bad. Why? Because I'm coming to the end of my 20s and I'm starting to realise that even if I have the best professional year of my life and get an Edinburgh show and then a TV show off the back of the Edinburgh show, I won't be ridiculously young. Yeah, no one's going to be like, oh, can you believe she won a Tony Award at 22? They're going to be like, oh yeah, 30-year-old won a Tony Award, next. Well, I'm glad you guys are concerned because this week's Smart Lesson is about growing old with grace, or more specifically, how to be unyoung. Mmm, cheese and onion flavoured. <laughs> <laughs> so Alex, you have been doing this a little bit longer than both of us. What, life? Yeah, yeah. Mm. this whole thing. Yeah. What, what have you learnt then? Teach us your tips on how to be unyoung. How to be unyoung. Uh, my tips would be to discredit the work of people who are younger than you uh, to prove that being young isn't great. Oh, that's that's a good one, actually. That's like, oh, they've got the internet now, so it's easier mm-hmm. for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Constantly talk about how A-levels and GCSEs uh, were much harder in your day. Okay. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and if somebody is doing much better than you but happens to be slightly younger than you, uh, mention constantly that they're like 12. Yes. Yeah. So the client is like 12. Yeah. So my boss is like yeah. 12. Like they're always 12. Yeah. Um, and just sort of moan about millennials a lot, even though you are one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then be like, I'm a late millennial though, guys. Yeah. So, yeah. Know. Even if you're not though, because you have to lie about your age, right? Yeah. You have mm-hmm. to kind of... Yeah, either up or down. Yeah, but you can't be the age that you are. So if yeah. you're going to lie about your age down, if you're going to say that you're younger than you are, um, like it works the first time. If you can just be like, oh, I'm 22, people will be like, fine. Okay, but then you have to update all your cultural references to go with that. Oh, that's oh, true. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 
So like everyone would be like, oh, remember when The Phantom Menace came out? And you have to be like, yes, I was six. <laughs> oh, yeah, But you course. weren't, you were 12. Oh, Shit, right. this is going to be harder than I thought. Yeah. I was six and a half. I was still pooing my pants. <laughs> was I? <laughs> <laughs> that what they do? <laughs> oh, another good tip is to talk about how all of your internships were unpaid. So the current interns should be grateful that they're getting fuck all money for doing a mm-hmm. full prop job. Or I'll tell you what you could do. You could do what Cara Delevingne has done this week, which is she's the face of an anti-aging campaign. Isn't she like 12? She's like 12. Mm, Well, she's actually double that and a bit more. She's 25. (laughs) Right. Which is the ideal age for um, an anti-aging campaign because uh, you are young. So, I mean... Yeah, but she's taking food right out of Andy McDowell's face. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would think that Andy McDowell is at home right now, wrinkly and poor. <laughs> Just wearing a shawl yeah. and rocking back and forth. And I imagine that Helen Mirren is currently calling her agent up, shitting herself. Yeah, yeah. She's, no, she's just, she's dust now. Yes. Yeah. She's just a, jar, a mason jar of dust in a pink bikini. Yeah. <laughs> you Mirren. pour moisturiser on it and it materialises into Helen Mirren. <laughs> I thought, like I'm sure women over sixty must hate Helen Mirren because like yeah. she had that one picture of her at a really great angle, looking fabulous in that bikini, and now she is like the standard to which we must hold every woman over sixty. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like fuck off, Helen. And then comes the day, the days when you're like really old and you lose weight again, but then you're nearly dead. Yeah, but then your bones become heavier somehow. Do they? Oh, yeah, apparently so. Fuck that. Go on. And then you shrink. <laughs> Oh, gracefully so though. You shrink gracefully. Yeah, shrink <laughs> gracefully that's, that's into your here. crippling age. Yeah. Compact your bones down like a reverse telescope. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how to age gracefully. <laughs> or, actually guys, um, these are all really practical, but if you want a really quick and easy tip, mm. just feel a bit younger, Okay. Um, you could make a pact with Father Time to make you youthful. Oh yeah, show him your tits. Yeah. Yep, that works. Catch him in his bathrobe. Yeah. <laughs> He'll invite you up to the hotel room, so you want to be young forever. Yes, forever young. I want to be forever young. Well, now that we're 21 again, we've reached the end of the episode. Let's choose not to take that as a metaphor for how we'll all die one day. Oh, God. But there is an afterlife, by which I mean we will be putting out a bonus episode with lots of extra umbrella facts from Marion on Saturday. So perhaps there is a God after all. Special thanks this week, of course, to Marion Rankin for coming in and telling us all about umbrellas. Her book, Broliology, is out now, published by Melville House. Thanks, as usual, to Harry Harris for our jingle, Gavin Day for our logo, and of course to you for listening to us exercise the inner recesses of our brains if you've enjoyed this episode please do leave us a review on the apple podcast store and then tell all your friends bye bye